Welcome to Collective Podcast. It's a new week, but it's the same old themes. We talk about the NBA. Andrew, we still subscribe in 2019. We still subscribe in 2019. It's still called Brian Windhorst and the Hoop Collective. Brian, I also want you to know that there were many, many loyal fans that I've bumped into over the weekend, and they're quite curious as to why you're unable to remember the name of your own podcast. Do you think it's unable to remember, or do you think I'm doing it for a reason? Hmm. 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 Where were you at when you bumped into these loyal fans, Las Vegas? You know, out on the streets, you know, in the world. I'm a man of the in people. The, in these streets. <laughs> in these streets. Um, in New York City today, joining us is Tim Bontemps, who was at the Knicks game yesterday, one of the finest games in the NBA yesterday, Knicks Sixers. That's one way to describe it. And tonight, <laughs> uh, Celtics-Knicks. Or Celtics-Nets? Celtics-Nets. Celtics-Nets, Sands, Kyrie Irving. Yeah, we'll talk about that later. Uh, joining us in Austin, Texas, home of the Longhorns, is Kurt Goldsberry. Um, Hook you know, uh, uh, I So I always when I always think of, of Kirk, I think of... Uh, Kirk Heinrich and Drew Gooden telling me a story. Um, this must have been a different age in recruiting coverage. But uh, one time I was at a Bulls game when when I was covering Drew Gooden uh, when he was with the Cavs, and uh, he saw Kirk Heinrich and he he said, "What's up, Kurt?" Like C U R T, Kurt. What's up, Kurt? And I go, "Wait a minute." He played with him at Kansas. <laughs> He's got to know that his name is Kirk, not Kurt, right? <laughs> but he sort of said it like in passing, like, what's going on? And so, like, I didn't think about it. And then they played the Bulls again a couple weeks later, and he did it again. We, you know, he called him Kurt. I heard him call him Kurt. And so I go up to him and I go, Drew, how come you call Kirk Heinrich Kurt? And he goes, oh, um, when, when he came to Kansas, um, we all thought his name was Kurt. And we called him Kurt for like a whole season. And I go, how is that even possible? <laughs> like, wasn't he like a high level? You, you were at Kansas. This wasn't some summer camp. Like, all the Kansas kids are like five stars. Like, what about when they introduced him at the games and said, from wherever he was in Iowa, uh, Kurt Heinrich? He goes, yeah, we all thought his name was Kurt. So I don't know if this is a good thing. So let me I ask you, that Kirk. Was a Drew Gooden thing. Do, do, do people call? Have ever? Do people ever call you Kurt? Oh yeah, it's uh, about a forty percent chance. Anytime somebody utters my name, they'll call me Kurt. And shout out to all the Kurts out there because I'm sure they get the, the the vice versa. They get the Kirk. Um, and for all the Kirks out there, yeah, we get called Kirk. Kirk. I've I've made the choice not to get bothered <laughs> by it. Uh, it's just a long life. He's made the choice. Uh, yeah, it's just <laughs> well, that's my word of wisdom to all the Kurts and the Kirks. Just don't well, get mad. You know what I'm right, saying, Ryan? <laughs> I didn't know so, this was such a plague on our society. This is right. news well, to me. That's what every time I like order like uh, Starbucks or order anything, and I say, "What do they say your name?" I say Brian, and then he comes back, and it's written Ryan. I'm um, very excited for the people that listen to this part and can't distinguish the difference between Kirk and Kurt. And they're like, "Why are they just saying the same thing twice over and over again?" <laughs> well, anyway, so Kurt became. Happened. Kurt Heinrich became Kirk Heinrich's nickname. And I thought it was a stupid nickname because it's not any shorter. I thought a nickname had to be shorter. And Kirk, you were saying that the NBA, in your opinion, is in a dire situation with nicknames right now. Yeah, from my perspective, we have so many great superstars right now, and very few of them have a, a nickname that's up to par that for their level of contributions. Like watching Harden go crazy um for the last few weeks it's like shouldn't we have a nickname for this guy that we all love well, right he now? does have a nickname yeah hit, hit it hit me with it what is it well they call him the beard it does it's a weird nickname because the yeah. something is a weird nickname but i mean he does have a nickname and if you look up a guy on basketball reference for instance they 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 have a oh, whole yes. set right. of nicknames and nobody ever uses any of them and and some of them are <laughs> uh very obscure and hilarious uh, but yes, of course he's called the beard. I think uh, I'm looking up El Chapo is also listed on Basketball Reference. El Chapo. Yeah. El Chapo. Right on there. <laughs> yes. Have you? Has anybody here ever heard? 
of El Ch- is the James Harden referred to as El Chapo? Is anyone I, here a, ever heard that's that? That's a new one. To, that's a new one to me. Wow. Um, yeah, there are some uh, some weird ones on there. Um, like I remember seeing. I have to look it up now, but I remember seeing Tracy McGrady, and um, McGrady had a nickname on there that I'd never heard before. And I went to him. I go, Tracy. I've never heard you called this nickname. And he's like, oh, yeah. He's like, uh, they used to call it to me in high school. And I was like, oh, the big sleep. <laughs> like every, everybody – and I also feel like we are a little bit lazy with nicknames now because it, people just use like um, like CP3. Like they use their initials or like T Mac or, you know, J Mac or J Rich, you know. It's just sort of shortened nicknames, but I agree. I wish I was. From. That's usually where they come from, though. It's when it's yeah, but name right, like MJ, right? Well, Jordan had a lot of them, you know, sure. his Aranus, etc. Um, yeah, Air Jordan, he had a ton, and I, I think that uh, yeah, Magic is a, is one of the best ones in NBA history. I just for sure uh, wilt the still. Well, Rachel just I mean, did that on the show recently. That's that's the that's got to be the. I mean, that one and Doctor J are got to be the two the two best Dr. ones, J. right? That's that's the glory. It's glorious. Now, if you go to Basketball Reference, you look at LeBron's nicknames. Okay, you got King James. Okay, chosen one. It's not really a nickname; it's sort of a moniker. But all right, uh, LBJ nicknames. Uh, Bron Bron, which is what it, what his friends call him. Um, the Akron Hammer, which is really old school but did exist, and the little the little <laughs> emperor. Now, I I have been covering LeBron for 20 years. I have never once heard him called the Little Emperor. <laughs> no one would call him the Little Anything. I was going to say, that's that's, the, that's the, the wrong adjective. I almost feel like the fine people at Basketball Reference are making this up. Um, they might be. Well, KD, for example, uh, rejected the Slim Reaper, which was great. Rejected that was a great that. nickname, but it's, it's too long. Um, if he was just known as slim yeah uh but like uh Dwayne wade also rejected flash although he's kind of allowed it because like shaq gave that nickname to him and he's kind of looked at it as like oh he was sort of like putting me in his place below superman i'm the, the flash sidekick and he kind of requested it not to be used anymore but that's again that's a good nickname even if he doesn't like it at least it's you know again we could just go oh yeah d wade that's not whatever, but okay. Um, I want to talk about what happened last night in Los Angeles, um, which where they played one of the worst NBA games I've seen all season, if not the worst. And the Cavs, I don't even know if the proper word is beat. Um, it was like hitting them with a wet noodle uh, in a submission. <laughs> um, the Repeated Tristan quarter- Thompson post-ups in the fourth quarter of that game were just brutal to watch. Tristan Thompson post-ups. There were Tristan Thompson isos. <laughs> That's true. Um, it was really the bad. La- the Lakers um, ran no offense. They just went flying down the floor and just heaved themselves at the basket. And the Cavs were like, okay, we'll just foul you because, because the Lakers can't make free throws. And they didn't. I think they missed nine free throws in the fourth quarter. And, and that was the game. The Lakers flinging themselves down the court. And then they were, they were like, um, Kyle Kuzma was actually trying to get fouled. He was like throwing, uh, his body at guys shooting three pointers, trying to get to the foul line like he was Reggie Miller or something. Um, and even he couldn't make free throws. So it was a terrible game. The Cavs had lost 12 in a row. Um, the Lakers, uh, defeat knocked them into a tie with the Utah Jazz for the eighth seed. They are now, Three and seven in the ten games they've played without LeBron, they have fallen to a. T- they were, I think, fourth when LeBron got hurt. It was the apex of their season. LeBron got hurt on Christmas Day, where they went at Golden State. I think they were in fourth place. They have been in relative free fall since. LeBron is not getting that much better. I know they say they're going to reevaluate him this week. I have been told it will be. You know, as of last week, they were thinking it was still going to be at least two weeks. He's going to miss uh, more games, although he could play now. And if it gets dire, I suppose he could come back. So I'm, 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 it's dangerous for me to say he's going to be out a period of time because he could step back in at any time and sort of play through it. Um, Bontemps, I know where you are on this. 
because before the season started, before you were a member of ESPN's team, you wrote a column in the Washington Post where you predicted the Lakers were going to miss the playoffs. Although I don't know if you thought LeBron was going to miss this many games, but uh, where what's your viewpoint of where the Lakers are right now? Part of the reason I made the case for the Lakers to miss the playoffs was because LeBron was very likely to miss time, right? I mean, this is a guy who, um, over the course of his career, you know, has only played 82 games once, was last season, and to expect him to turn around and do that again, I just didn't really think was logical, you know? So do I did I expect him to hurt his groin and miss 15 games or whatever he's going to miss, maybe whatever? And not necessarily, but... I think it was reasonable to think he was going to miss 10 to 12 games, right? And even if he comes back for their next game, which I don't think we expect him to at this point, um, you know, the Lakers have the second hardest schedule left in the league, according to ESPN's uh, BPI. Uh, the Jazz, has, who are they're tied with, have the fifth easiest. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, this Laker team kind of is what we thought it was going to be in large part, right? You know, well, let's just Nichols, go over real quick, real quick. Let's just go over their schedule sure. till the trade deadline. Um, so they play the Bulls tomorrow at home, which I don't want to say is a must win, but you really should win that. Uh, LeBron's not going to play in that game. Technically, he's going to be reevaluated Wednesday before they go on a two-game road trip. I suppose it's possible he could be cleared, that he would have done a, even improved a lot in the recent days. I don't actually think that he will be. So, but. In fairness, they say he'll be reevaluated Wednesday. So Thursday at Oklahoma City, that's going to be rough. Uh, Saturday at Houston. So at Oklahoma City, at Houston, with the way they're playing right now, uh, that's rough. Monday, um, they host the Warriors. So the next three games after the Bulls, Thunder, Rockets, Warriors. And they come home for two against the Timberwolves and Suns, and I would say that there's a good chance that LeBron could be back by then. That's uh, next week. Uh, and they better win those games because after that, it's this is their stretch. 76ers, Clippers, Warriors, Pacers, Celtics, 76ers. That's their stretch of their next like 10 to 12 games. Even at full strength in there, that's going to be a real challenge because a bunch, and I didn't even say, but that's an East Coast road trip. Um, they have a road trip. Listen to this road trip at Oakland, at Indiana, at Boston, at Philly. Uh, that's brutal, be even a full strength. So, all right, I just wanted to go over their schedule real quick. Back to you, Tim. No, I was going to say was I thought Rachel Nichols kind of summed their team up last night when she said it's weird that a roster that was built with no shooting can't shoot. And right. I think we saw that last night. They, the reason their offense was so bad in that game was because all they could really do was give the ball to Brandon Ingram or give the ball to Kyle Kuzma, and they would just dribble at the rim and fling the ball up in the air because they can't really do anything else. And that was why, even going back to the summer, part of the reason I was really down on this team was they just didn't build a team that made any sense. You know, they went out and got you know they got LeBron James to commit on July first, and then proceeded to surround him with. A bunch of guys who need the ball in their hands and can't. Really but they shoot. were, but they were a pretty decent team when LeBron was healthy. I mean, and they well, were yeah in because they have place. the greatest player of all time, arguably. On their right, team. but when you picked them to miss the playoffs, that you knew they were going to have the greatest player of all time for a majority. Yeah, of I games, thought they would so. win around forty-five games and miss the playoffs, which is okay, what so, they were kind of on pace to do. Okay, so Kirk, what, where do you, you know, where do you see the Lakers right now, and, and what you project them to be? I think you're spot on. I think it's a it's an injury situation. If LeBron gets gets right, um, you know, looking back, Brian, I think they were a defensive juggernaut there when they had gotten Tyson Chandler uh, in the rotation, and they were just destroying teams with defense, and they were playing good enough offense to win games. Uh, since um, LeBron's been out, they've been terrible on offense, including last night, and and and. and Tim's point is like, yeah, Lonzo and Josh Hart last night were 8 for 30 combined from the field and 3 for 16 from three-point land. They can't shoot. Um, it's about the offense stupid with them right now. Without LeBron what? James, they are a disaster. The Cleveland Cavaliers are by far the worst defense in the NBA, uh, and they struggled to score points. They ended up with 95 points against them last night, and I think that tells you all you need to know about them. They have one of the worst defenses in the history of the NBA to this point. Yeah. Uh, they're they're one, trending one thing towards that. that. Well, I just wanted to add one other thing to Kurt's point. You know who else can't shoot? Kyle Kuzma. We need to stop with this 
thing that Kyle Kuzma is a great shooter. He's shooting 29.9% from three now this season. But Kuzma is having a good year. I mean, like out of every, out of all the. He's he's scoring a lot, but he doesn't pass and he doesn't really shoot. So again, like if he, if you're saying, if you're holding up Kyle Kuzma as the best one of these young guys with, yes, he's averaging close to 19 points a game. He's shooting 46% from the field. He's shooting 29% from three, and he's basically got a one-to-one assist-to-turnover ratio. Like, so, not, yeah, it's not great. I, I, yeah, but I still think – I think Kuzma has had a – this has been a step-forward season for him. He has had a really – in a year where some of the sophomores have taken a step back, I think Kuzma has done uh, reasonably well. I think he's well. been fine. I just think people look at him as like a – building block and i just i've never really seen well, it and i just don't i think see it he's now a either. building block as your fourth best player i don't think he's a guy you say okay he's gonna be a cornerstone but i think yeah i'd like to have him on my team so i think you know there's been a lot of discussion about luke, about luke walton's job security uh, today especially because you know during this stretch they lost to the knicks and Cavs at home which granted is bad and i think so going into this game uh, last night, the Cavs had played two games on this road trip, one game in New Orleans, one game in Houston. And in the in the second half of New Orleans and the game in Houston, so the previous six quarters coming in, they'd given up 221 points. 221. They gave up 81 <laughs> points in the second half to the Pelicans, and they gave up 140 to the um, to the Rockets. And the, and the Lakers... In a game that they got to win, really. I mean, there's just no there's no doubt right. about that. Uh, they come in and they score 46 points in the first half against that team. And granted, the Cavs did come out with some intensity, but that's where the Luke Walton stuff becomes an issue because, you know, Luke Walton can't make them make more free throws. I mean, you know, he's only got so many guys you can put out there. And if they're going to miss their free throws, they're going to miss their free throws, you know, whatever. But it's more about having your team ready to play. And that is, an, you know, frankly, one of the things that a coach, one of his most important things that a coach can do is to motivate your team. It's, it's one of the biggest challenges as a coach. Uh, I've often said that coaches a lot of times are salesmen, and it's how much you can sell to your guys, how much your philosophy you can sell. And you've got to get your team motivated to play. And whether you do that by setting good habits or whether you do that with your game plan, whether you do that with your pregame routine, however you do it, you've got to do it. And that's where Luke is under the gun a little bit. I think it would be insane to do anything because I think uh, when LeBron comes back, like Kirk said, I think at times they've been really good on defense this year. There, there have been times when they've been downright shut down in the half court. I've been really impressed with it. Um, but, I mean, you know um, – I you know Bontemps I just can't see them doing anything with Luke Walton. Do you? Oh, I wouldn't say that. I I think I mean look they they they're going to need to find a scapegoat if they continue to struggle. And it's at a the hell end of a lot season. easier to I would say sooner. Look, I I do I I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think firing Luke Walton would be insane. He's gotten this team to consistently defend even when they didn't have LeBron when they don't have any guys who should be able to play defense. And I, I think he's done a nice job, but it's a heck of a lot easier to say. Oh yeah, uh, it's the coach's fault. Then oh yeah, these young guys that we've touted as the future of the team are just not that good. And I, I think the evidence is just that the young guys are just not that good. And you know, people have tried to act like they're, they're going to be this next great young core in the league. And I think the overwhelming body of evidence says that that's just not the case. But it's well, far easier to blame that on the coach than to say it's the players' fault. Well, historically, you are correct about that. Um, so Brandon Ingram, this has been 10 games where Brandon Ingram's basically been given the keys, although down the stretch last night they gave it to Kuzma because Ingram couldn't really get, do anything about it. So he's LeBron's been out 10 games, and that's a representative sample. It's not been three games. It's been 10, and I know it's not a whole season, but you want to see what Brandon Ingram could do when it was, you know, quote-unquote, his team with the ball in his hands. Um, he's averaging 19 points in this stretch, 18.7. Um, that's okay. He's shooting 46% in this stretch. He's only shooting 31% on threes. His, um, his three-point shooting this season has plummeted. He shot 39% last year, which is decent, pretty good. And he shot, and she shooting 31% this year, 31% during this 10-game stretch. He's shooting 59% at the, fo- at the, uh, foul line during this stretch without LeBron. 
Um, he's just not making an impact. I mean, Kuzma has had several very impactful games without LeBron, including he had a 41-point game a couple of days ago. He had It wasn't an efficient 29 points last night, but he had 29 points. He's been, you know, he sort of stepped up and, and, and taken in. Uh, Kirk, we're not seeing that from Brandon Ingram, and that, among where they are in the stats and where everything like else, I mean, I think that's like the biggest thing to be concerned about. Yeah, well, if I, I mean, there's two things to be concerned about. One is the Peter principle, though. I mean, with LeBron out, these guys have just been promoted to a level of incompetence. Like <laughs> right. they, they're being asked to do too much, and we. This is one of the foundational issues with basketball stats. Is if you look at stats. For bad teams, you see guys with bad stats in part because they're being asked to do too much. Um, that's what Brandon Ingram is doing right now. That's what Kyle Kuzma is doing right now. And, and even Josh Hart and Lonzo to a degree. Uh, LeBron comes in and reduces all their usage and they have to pick their shots better and their numbers magically go up. But here's the bigger thing. And, and, and if I'm watching the Lakers, my biggest concern is actually macro scale. And it's the development um the player development sort of apparatus there. These were incredible assets when they came out of the draft. Um, and it, it's a real question if they're getting better. Um, I'm not sure that Brandon Ingram is getting much better. I'm not sure if Lonzo Ball is getting better. Um, and, and yeah, Luke might get some, get some heat. Um, but the organization as a whole needs to make sure they're putting these guys in a sort of a nurturing environment to develop to get better. Um, so that Luke has more assets on the court. Um, and I think it's a real question. Do you guys think that the organization does a good job of actually building basketball players from the time they come in from the draft? Well, I think look, you could argue Reach, they've done a bad job of drafting. Hmm. Well, they had three number two picks in a row, and I've argued that they that they swung and missed on all three, at least in terms of getting a star. I mean, I, Lonzo Ball and, and Brandon Ingram will play 12, 14 years in the league, but I don't think either of them are stars. But... You know, Rachel has pounded away on the fact that they didn't sign shooters, which is exactly what you need around LeBron. If you're a Laker fan, you can say, well, we're just really banged up. You can't really evaluate it. To me, it's neither of those. To me, when they made the decision not to go all in for Kawhi Leonard, um, I don't know. I don't know, Kirk. Do we think they should have said, like, we're not going to trade Brandon Ingram for Kawhi Leonard now? Like people were saying then. Well, I'll just, I'll Kirk, just, I'll I don't wait. know how much you can talk about this as a former member of the Spurs front office. I don't know if the Spurs would have even traded, uh, even done business with the Lakers to send Kawhi there. Um, but to me, if I were the Lakers, if you're going to do 2020 stuff, I, I mean, not 2020, hindsight 2020, um, uh. you're, uh, Lakers have been thinking about 2020 as well. But I mean, if you're going to do hindsight, not trading for Kawhi. I mean, what can you say about the way the Spurs would have viewed a Laker? Because they didn't make the full-out offer. They made a, a junk offer, not a real offer. I think they were they were betting on their future, their, their young guys, which I think is a good strategy. Uh, but I return to that central point. Like, are your young guys getting better? I mean, I think it was Tim who made the point that, that Kuzma might be the best one of the young guys. He wasn't one of these number two picks that you were right. referencing. He was right. number 26 or something around there. Um, but I would have, and, and, if I were well, the but, Lakers and, and I had a 34 year old, 33 turning 34 year old LeBron, and I have him now, I'm thinking, well, I know that, I know that development matters. You know, for a good franchise, you have to develop players, but I also think that that should change your timeline. Well, let's no, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to agree with you because just the, the point of when they, who they drafted, to your earlier point, didn't put them in a position to make an incredible offer to, for anybody this summer, right? right? Because that's well, that, yeah. that's code well, that's for why, the Spurs wouldn't have taken it, Tim. Well, that's, that's so, <laughs> we're not going to put Kirk in a weird spot, but let's back up even farther. The Lakers had an opportunity to trade for Paul George. Okay, they had to trade whatever either who became Lonzo Ball or Brandon Ingram for Paul George. They said we are not going to do that. We're going to sign Paul George later. Guess what? They didn't sign Paul George later, and also guess what? Paul George has been. Are, you know, one of the top five MVP candidates in the league this year has been incredible. With the Lakers, I put be him on my All Star ballot. George. I put him yeah. on my All Star starters ballot. He's on mine ahead of LeBron James. Like he's well, been unbelievable. That's I left off Durant, but I'm going to tell you, 
LeBron is missing so many games. I don't know. But go ahead. Go ahead. No, but I was just going to say, like, again, like the Lakers have just kept saying, we've got these young guys. These young guys are great. We're not going to trade these young guys for anything. Well, okay. Now what do you have? You have a bunch of young guys that aren't, that don't look like they're that great. And you have LeBron and you don't necessarily have a path to getting the the second star there, but he was sure they were going to get there's nuance, Right. What you're saying is accurate, but there's nuance to it. So, the Paul George scenario when they didn't have anybody else there, they just had the young guys and the future pick versus the Kawhi scenario where they had LeBron in the fold and also knew that they, you know, what they had, they, they knew who their young guys were. They didn't have, you know, they obviously thought that L- L- Lonzo Ball was going to come in and be an, imp- an impact player. And if Lonzo Ball had been an impact player and won rookie of the year or something like that or looked like Luka Doncic, or something like that, then sure. their whole scenario would have been different. But when they had the Kawhi decision on their plate, they knew what they had. They had punted on D'Angelo Russell. They knew what Brandon Ingram was. They knew what Lonzo Ball was, or at least they had an idea. And so to me, that decision, you know, you know, and again, well, they maybe, knew what they had in Brandon Ingram the year before too, when they kept him instead of trading him for Paul George. So again, it's I'm the saying, same, it's the same argument though. It's the same argument. And, and maybe it's all moot because maybe what Kurt is saying in, in – uh, Kurt. What Kirk is saying in code <laughs> is that uh, – <laughs> You did it so yourself. Uh, what Goldsberry is saying in code is that the Spurs wouldn't have taken it. But as far as I know, unless I don't have all the information, which is quite possible, the Lakers offered the poo-poo platter. Well, right. I think what Kirk's – I think Kirk's point is actually that is it is it that the players aren't that good or are the Lakers not developing them? I, I'm not sure it matters, but I think that – that might, if you know, I think if you want to look at it the other way, that maybe these guys in a different place would be better than they are. I mean, I think that's a yes, fair Andrew. question at this point to ponder. I think, Brian, I think more to the point, this has been a really roundabout way of you wanting to push this panic button on the Lakers, that there's no, not a no, lot no, of not, sunshine coming up. All no, of these young guys the, aren't really doing anything. It's, it I'm, certainly sounds like that. You just re, no. you decided to relitigate the last three non-trades that – that they well, on. I think I think right now the Lakers would rather have Kawhi Leonard than these young guys is what I think they'd rather have. And if they did, we might be talking about them contending to win the West. And now we're talking about them. Like this is this is my whole thing. Le- when you argue about LeBron, whether he is better than Michael Jordan, no matter where you are in that argument, the fact that LeBron has elevated to the conversation where he's not even in question with anybody that's in his peer group, means that he has achieved a massive victory. We are now discussing the Lakers about whether they will make the playoffs or not. And that the fact that that's the conversation with the LeBron James team is an indication of where this Lakers franchise is, regardless of where that actually comes out. And to me, that is not where you want it to be with this team, you know, six, seven months into your tenure with LeBron James. That is my point. Um, okay, well, the Lakers will be interesting. I actually think when they're fully healthy uh, that the Lakers absolutely are a playoff team and could be dangerous in the playoffs, but I just don't know. And, and there was an interesting quote as my last point before we move on. Um, Tristan Thompson, who we know is very close to LeBron, and we and I don't know for sure because I don't stalk their uh, IG, but my guess is that Tristan spent some time with LeBron um, uh, over the weekend. The Cavs. We're in L.A. for a couple of days. Uh, I know that J.R. Smith was in L.A. and went to the Rams game with LeBron, the Cowboys game, whichever you want to call it. Um, so Tristan gave this quote to Joe Varden from The Athletic. And I just, again, I just want to point out that he's very close to LeBron and probably has recently hung out with him. Um, it's not about being nervous about whether you're going to make the playoffs because LeBron's going to come back in time. And this is the point that I think is very important for Laker fans. Even if he's still hurt, He'll come back in time to make the playoffs. That right there is important. Because what what I think I'm extrapolating, what I think Tristan is saying is is that LeBron may have to come back when he's still hurt and or LeBron may be hurt for a while. Um, The LeBron that that the Lakers may get back may not be the 100% LeBron, even if he does wait another couple of weeks. And I think... All I'll say about the Lakers otherwise is that uh, I said before the season, if I end up looking foolish about the Lakers, it's because Brandon Ingram is better than I thought. And I'm not going to look foolish about the Lakers, whether they make the playoffs or not. So, <laughs> and that's what's so important to Tim. 
That's All right, right, let's take a vote. Should we talk about the Spurs next or the Celtics? More complaints about trouble or uh, celebration of mastery? Let's talk about the Spurs. Kirk wanted to talk about the Spurs. Let's talk about them. Okay. All right. Uh, the Spurs um, were sort of it was it was it was doom and gloom there. Um, they had a really difficult start to the season. Um, they couldn't stop anybody. Some of the worst. Uh, defense that we've ever seen pop teams play. Uh, they just lost all these perimeter players. Dejounte Murray started the season for the year and everything, and they they had that stretch where they I think they dropped to eleven and fourteen. They were as low as three games below five hundred, and they had this really important like six game homestand, and they dominated that homestand, and they've been dominating uh, people ever since. Now they're twenty five and nineteen. So, um, you know, still not blowing everybody away, but, um, you know, just had a really, uh, you know, they got beat in Oklahoma City, but they had a great win against Oklahoma City the game before that. Um, so, Kirk, um, what have the Spurs done to reroute their season um, from your vantage point? Well, I mean, they've had an offensive awakening, I think, number one. Um Everybody knows what their shot selection pattern has been when you got DeMar and you got LaMarcus and Rudy Gay as sort of your core veterans. You know you're going to get a lot of mid-range, and that got a lot of attention. Um, and those guys are going to do that. Uh, but what's going on is they have become, over the last 15 games, simply the best shooting team in the NBA by any metric. Um, true shooting percentage, they're above the Rockets, who have been very hot. Um, and their offensive rating is third in the NBA over that stretch. Um, and this is a team that I don't think any of us would have said uh, would have had uh, a prolonged stretch where they're a top-five offense. Moreover, their defense, less surprising to anybody who's followed the San Antonio Spurs, has is, is, is sort of um, been much better, and they're in the top-five in that category over the stretch as well. Um, but to me, the biggest surprise is on offense, Brian, and not just with DeMar, who's been okay during the stretch. LaMarcus has been very good, but with some non-household names um, that have jumped out and really uh, just lit the world on fire, including guys like Davis Bertans, Marco Bellinelli, and my favorite, Derek White, for those of us who watched that uh, TNT game Thursday night. Mm -hmm. uh, this dude has just emerged out of nowhere. Um, and I'd add Brent Forbes has been very good during the stretch, too. Um, these are not household Spurs names. Um, but they have complimented uh, the core guys and shot the ball extremely well, propelling that offense into heights that I don't think many of us would have predicted. It's never there were people last good. year who were advocating for Derek White to play more too. Uh, that I think are you know looking wise for that. He's been he's been fantastic for the Spurs. Who also have Tony Parker back in San Antonio today. He was like um, a late first round pick, right? I think he's 29th pick, right, Kurt? Yeah, 20, 28th or 29th, I forget which, uh, out of Colorado. And he had only played one year at Colorado before um, he had transferred from a junior college environment or a small college environment. And uh, Again, let me uh, let me ask you to pull back your Spurs front office uh, as much as you can. Um, what was the evaluation on him when he was drafted, like in terms of upside? Like, obviously, this is a classic late first-round spot where the Spurs look to draft and develop. Yeah, I mean, Derek is, he came into the league with a lot of, uh, skills as a, as a combo guard who can, who pass it and run an offense, but also shoot it very well. Um, but, you know, didn't show a lot of that at Colorado. Um, I think Derek's, you know, talk about player development. The Spurs apparatus is world famous for a reason. Um, but I think his time as in, in, in the Austin Spurs, leading the Austin Spurs to the uh, G League championship last year, really was valuable um, and helped him with high usage situations, high leverage situations, develop a feel for professional basketball. And I think that's what we're watching him cash in on now. This is funny how podcasts. guys playing helps. It's funny how guys playing two, helps. Two podcasts, two times that Kirk has mentioned the Austin uh, Toros. I'm going to call them the Toros. Uh, <laughs> sorry. The Austin Spurs uh, G League Championship last year. But Derek White, from what I can tell, he's a very – crafty player um he <laughs> he sort of senses opportunities like there was one play and that's and, and i already knew that about him a little bit but there was one play and that uh, victory over the the thunder where he saw a screen coming i can't remember who set the screen it might have been westbrook 
and he knew the screen was coming. And I wouldn't say he flopped, but he exaggerated the contact to make it look like it was a moving screen. And it was kind of, it was a brilliant move. Like they showed it in slow motion, and you could yep. see him peeking for it to come. And when the screen came, he positioned his body in a way to make it look like Westbrook had impeded his path. I think it was Westbrook. And it was just a really like veteran level move. And he got the call. And, um, you know, I had, I had been told by scouts that this is kind of how he operates, but that was the first time I really had seen it, um, you know, so valuable in that game. So, um, he, you know, that's been just huge for them. And that's, look, I don't know what their top end is this year, Tim. But, um, you know, they made a decision when they made this trade, you know, for a guy, you know, in the middle of his prime on, under a long-term contract and not to go just for picks and prospects. They made this decision to continue to try to compete um, with who knows how much longer Pop is going to do it. And, they, you know, they probably could have looked to see what the market was for LaMarcus Aldridge and, and started a full rebuild, and they didn't. And um, it's so far, you know, I don't know, you know, they're not competing for a title this year, in my opinion, but um, it's, so far it's it's followed their plan, even if it's been turbulent. Yeah, and I, I look, I, I think we, and I, th- I think we in the media now, especially with the way things work, uh, you know, we focus a lot on championship upside with teams, but at the end of the day, there's only a couple teams every year that really have a shot to win a title. And I think, you know, for a Spurs team that has been, as good as they've been for such a long time, uh, I have no problem with them saying, hey, you know what? Like, we don't know how much time Pop's got left. We can get DeMar DeRozan, who is a really good player, even if he's not, you know, a perfect fit in today's game. And, you know, we can have him and LaMarcus Aldridge, and we can develop guys like Derek White, and we can have a team that is still going to be a very good team. And, you know, it, it's like Kirk said before. I mean, just the apparatus in San Antonio even, you know, even with all these guys leaving, you know, like I said, Tony Parker's back. Mike Wright wrote a great story about him today coming back to San Antonio. But, like, even with these new faces, whether it's Derek White or Bryn Forbes or uh, DeMar, obviously, there, um, you know, that machine just continues to roll along. And it's it's been a remarkable run, and they've, they've been really fun to watch. I mean, I was there for Kawhi's return the other day, and, I mean, they, they destroyed the Raptors. I mean, they just ran them out of the gym, and clearly a game they were ready to play. And um, it's it's just been a really fun story to watch this team that everybody kind of, you know, I think fairly, given the way they played early, kind of was like, well, this isn't going to work. To see them turn around the way they have and, you know, put themselves in a position to, you know, make a run to have it be somewhere in the middle of the Western Conference playoff picture has been, been really neat. Yeah. Uh, Pop, uh, my coach of the year to this point. Um, wow. You have a disagreement with that? Anyone? I mean, there's there's a lot of choices you could pick from, but given the way they've turned things around, I mean, you know, I'm just going through the standings. You know, Budenholzer's going to be in the mix. Uh, yeah. they, you know, Kenny Atkinson's done a great job. Uh, Mike Malone's done a great job. Mike Malone, yeah. Billy yeah, Donovan's Malone. done a great although, job. Although, let me just Doc say, as a, as, a quick, as a quick aside on the Nuggets, um, considering all the injuries that they have, the fact that they are where they are is amazing. Yeah. But their defense has been waning. Um, a little bit worried about that in terms of the Nuggets' chances to remain at the elite. Yeah, level. they're now down to four, five, six. They're now down to tenth. Yeah, and they've been, they've been to Brian's point. Well, well said. They are the number twenty three defense in the NBA over the last fifteen games, which is not championship caliber. To say yeah, that. that's much more in the range that we all kind of expected. But still, even if they can end the season, you know, in the top half uh, overall, that would be massive improvement from where where they were. And I, I didn't even think they could do that. And who knows? Maybe they won't be able to, right? Yeah, and Will, but Will if, Barton is back now. So, you know, got to see how that goes. They, they had a nice win uh, against the I mean, last Lasers. year they were 25th. So if they could right. even get to 15th, I mean, that would be a really significant step forward. For right, but they got to number one in the West with a top five, six defense, you know. so Right. Um, but uh, they had a really nice win last night against the Blazers. Uh, Barton came back and... Uh, Jokic had forty last night. Is that I think was that his first forty point game? Um, Wouldn't surprise me. Given sometimes he doesn't score because he doesn't shoot the ball. Right. <laughs> right. Feels I still like think he, he. I think he gets up for those games against Nurkic. I still think yeah, that's a thing. For no, sure. there's no question yeah, about that. 
I was watching that pretty close last night, and yeah, Jokic definitely won uh, that matchup. Yeah, I think Nurkic had tw- not that you only evaluate Nurkic on scoring, but I think he had twelve or something like that. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, and, and, and as a quick, uh, re- uh, you, you said it in passing. Uh, Michael Wright had the story today, but tonight is the um, Parker Tony Parker return game. Not, yeah. I think there's going to be a little bit different vibe than the Kawhi uh, return game. <laughs> just one, like just one ago. quick thing. It was so funny being at that game and. I will give the Spurs a ton of credit because they they did as much as they could to mitigate the negative energy going towards Kawhi. You know, Pop talked to him on the court after the game. They showed the tribute video before the game, but it was it was almost like an SNL skit because they showed they had this Danny Green and Kawhi Leonard tribute video, and everybody there understandably loves Danny Green, and so they would just alternate back and forth with shots of Danny Green and Kawhi Leonard doing things, and it would be like. Huge cheers, huge boos, huge <laughs> cheers, huge boos for like a minute straight. Right. It was, right. it was, it was very, it was very funny to watch the fans try to like <laughs> well, it, you know, whip or, or back and kind forth of, at that. Or it could kind of be next level because, like, if they if they did it that way, like if they had just played a, a Danny tribute video and then later played a Kawhi tribute video, right? You know, maybe it wouldn't have been intense, but allowing them to boo over and over and like sort of. You know, I don't know. It could have been next level. No, Here's they my were question. trying to do it the other way, but I, I um, give them a lot of credit. Uh, what is what is the next animal that's going to be discovered in um, the AT and T Center? Oh, it's going to be a snake. Yeah. No, no, they've already had that. Oh, we had the snake. We've had a bat, and what was it? A bird this week? Now there's birds flying around. What is next? A cow from the from the right yeah the from the next door. It's gonna or a horse. Yeah, it's oh, that's, yeah. that's a good call. Stray rodeo animals definitely the best. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I can tell you the the first game after the rodeo road trip is always one of the most aromatic games. Oh in the NBA. God, right. I can't even imagine. Yeah. Never Couldn't go you to just that one. see like uh, um, because you know the, the the barns for the rodeo are right next to the arena and right next to the loading dock. So like, tell me that it is impossible. That a team could come in there for shoot around one morning, and there could be just a cow <laughs> in the one of the lanes chewing. You know, just I mean, I know it's laughable, but say it's not, Kirk. Say it's not impossible. It's I, definitely I say not it's impossible. Possible. It's definitely not impossible. impossible. There's yes. livestock um, all over the place. Yeah. So I mean, who knows? Um, I have never. I will. Ne- my head is always on a swivel in that arena because I'm terrified of snakes. There's been snakes <laughs> in there before. And they found snakes in the locker room, the Trailblazers locker room during the playoffs. And, you know, our colleague Amin Al Hassan swears that there was um, chicanery going on with the failure of the air conditioning during the heat finals. Uh, I swear there's chicanery going on with a snake in the locker room. <laughs> and what was very disturbing about that story was that the, the guy came to remove the snake and like, was like, no problem. Because it, it led me to believe that he was pulling snakes out of there all the time, so I am, <laughs> I am very, very nervous walking through that. But not to mention, there's multiple like rings of, con- of inner concourses, and you can get lost. And you it can is an arena s- unlike any other in the league in many ways. Um, I'm, I'm always on edge there, Goldsberry. Um, no. uh, Brian. Speak- yes, Andrew. I know you wanted to get to something else quickly, but we have to make a quick pause for commercial breaks on some platforms. And while we're waiting, can you tell us that story about how you had to hitchhike from San Antonio to Dallas to Oklahoma City because your car broke down? And those were before the days of Uber. And so what else could you do? You know, and and you had to play the Texas Triangle. And And we're back. You know, I didn't want to fly (laughs) Southwest. All right. Um... So speaking of being on edge, uh, how about uh, Kyrie Irving in Orlando the other night, Bontemps? Oof. Um, so to set, the, interesting. To, to set the scene, uh, the Celtics are down one or down two? Two. Down two. Uh, they're in it. There's a timeout. Um, Brad Stevens clearly draws up a play that is not for uh, Kyrie. He is Kyrie is meant to be a decoy. The play ends up being – I think it was just – for Jason Tatum. I don't know if it went to, well, going to plan. It's, it's been a little complicated since then because I, I was watching on TV because I wasn't in Orlando, but it, it seems like the play had two options because it's a play they've run before, and it was either you could throw the ball to Al Horford who would do this kind of a handoff to Kyrie cutting in from half court, or you could throw it to Jason Tatum curling to the baseline for a jumper. 
And that sounds like Gordon a, Hayward, that sounds like how you would design a, a side out of bounds play. That yeah, and Gordon Hayward threw the ball to Jason Tatum, who missed. And uh, and Kyrie was not happy. He was not. He was not happy with Brad Stevens coming out of the huddle because he had words for Brad Stevens coming out of the huddle. Yep. Then he was not happy when the ball went to Tatum and he sort of sat there with his hands on his hips. And then he was not happy with Gordon Hayward who elected to throw the ball to Tatum, right? And he didn't he have words Correct. for Hayward on the court? Yeah, he went over and lectured Hayward. He put his hands up in the air when Tatum missed, and he marched over and lectured Hayward about throwing the ball to Horford instead. <laughs> and then then he sat in the locker room and, you know, according to uh, my pal Adam Himmelsbach from the Boston Globe, just had a thousand-yard stare at his locker for a long time. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, And then eventually got up and, you know, had had some words about how the young guys need to continue to grow, which has been a, a common theme this season. He's constantly talking about the young guys. Constantly. Which, which, and today he which, apologized for talking about the young guys. Right. Which he which he sort of doesn't put himself in, you know, even though he's a relatively young player, but he doesn't consider himself one of the young guys. He considers himself as the guy there to mentor the young guys. And uh, it's it, it, this is... This is it's interesting. I mean, I don't think it's out of line, um, but it's interesting because this is one of the things that irritated the hell out of Kyrie with LeBron was right. that, you know, LeBron, when he first got there, got irritated that Kyrie wouldn't pass the ball and waiters too. And um, within their first two weeks together, he pulled Kyrie aside and told him, uh, you can't have a game with no assists, Kyrie. You got to have assists. You got to pass the ball. And the next game, Kyrie had, I think, no assists for three quarters. Um, that was his response to that. Um, and remember, like LeBron, one of LeBron's classic moments in his second stint in Cleveland. Now, granted, this was not a regular season game in Orlando. It was a dire road playoff game against Chicago. But LeBron overruled a uh, a play where he was going to be used as um, – either the decoy or the inbounder. I can't remember, but the play wasn't for him. And he famously said about David Blatt, he goes, I had to scratch that play. I scratched it. That was when they were down uh, 2-1 in game four, right? And he hit the shot in the corner and then they won the series. They were down 2-1 and they were down in the game and uh, he hit the shot right at the buzzer to win game four and then they won the next two. But they could have been, they were within, if he misses a shot, they're down 3-1 and probably lose the series. And so, you know, LeBron not only enjoyed, you know, mentoring Kyrie and Deion Waiters and other players, but he also enjoyed the freedom of deciding what the play was at the end of the game. And it sounds like, you know, that's kind of the role that Kyrie wants to have. And he has a lot of power in Boston, but he doesn't have the LeBron power. And so it's just interesting to me that one of the reasons why he wanted out of Cleveland was because he was tired of being under... LeBron's thumb, and here he is trying to push his thumb down on everybody, even if he is making good points. What do you think, Tim? Well, I mean, this whole Kyrie leadership thing is interesting, right? You go back to the legend Jackie Mack wrote about Jalen Brown a few weeks ago, and in that she talked about you know Kyrie kind of talking about him in the media, and Kyrie saying at one point that uh, to her that this has been harder than he thought, the leadership thing, right? And then you look at the way he's playing on the court, and frankly, Kyrie is having, I think, by far the best season of his career. If you watch him play, he's drawing charges all the time. He's hustling on defense in ways he never did before. He's doing all the other stuff that, for a long time, people looked at him and was like, well, Kyrie basically just comes down and shoots, and that's really it, right? Um, so like, from an on-court leadership standpoint, I think he's showing the kind of leadership that you want from your star player, that he's clearly invested at both ends. But then to your point, there's these comments in the media like today, and then he's apologizing for saying, uh, you know, saying this stuff. And he says, he's not trying to call his teammates out. And he just cares so much about winning. And he's doing all this stuff. Like yeah, it's he just been it inter- back a little bit. Yeah. It's just been interesting to kind of see him to your point, try to navigate the, the media part of it, because I think you can argue that from an encore standpoint, he is doing everything they would want. And then some, and has been, you know, I, like I said, I really think as somebody who has always kind of thought that Kyrie, you know, got a little too much credit at times for not doing some of the stuff he needed to do to be a really good player. I think the way he's playing now is is just a markedly different player than he was before. So from that standpoint, I think he's shown a lot of growth, and it's been 
it, that's been one of the more interesting things to me about the season is to kind of watch him try to to balance those things as he's he's gone along and tried to really take on a a leadership role with the Celtic team that you know doesn't necessarily have a you know obvious choice to do that. Well, Kirk, I think um, you know Kyrie. He said some stuff that I really agree with, which is we didn't come here to be in fifth place. Uh, you know, last year we lived in a world with no expectations. Uh, you know, nobody thought it was a failed season when they lost to LeBron in seven with the injured guys. Um, you know, if you want to, uh, you know, you think you're dealing with adversity now, you know, just wait till you have to deal with, uh, you know, what happens in the playoffs, which he was down 3-1 in a series, uh, in the finals and under, I mean, what he's saying there, I happen to agree with, but you know, w- when you look at Kyrie and the Celtics, you know, what's your viewpoint? Yeah, I, I have a couple of ideas there. I think, you know, nobody we're mentioning in Coach of the Year. Is, we're not talking about Brad Stevens, and I think that's telling, too. He's, he's, he has this great reputation, and he's turned probably the third or second or third best roster in the NBA into the fifth seed in the Eastern Conference, and that's not good enough. Um, when you start to look at the numbers, uh, to Tim's point, you got Kyrie's killing it on the court. Uh, Marcus Morris is killing it on the court. Um, and what you're, what you're, what you're seeing is... A team that really struggles when when Terry Rozier's out there, when Jalen Brown and Gordon Hayward are out there, uh, they're not clicking. And for me, the big sort of non-analytical question there is: Do these guys love each other? Do they like each other? And, and something we haven't even talked about is the skirmish that it looked like uh, on the bench a couple nights earlier. Um, uh, I'm not sure these guys are are meshing well as a group, and I don't know what the answer is if it's a trade or if it's if it's a lineup change, but. Uh, to, to be to, to to wrap up that idea, I don't think Brad has cracked the code on this roster yet. Um, that said, I'm not shoveling dirt on him. We're halfway through the season. Uh, right. There's a lot of talent there, and and I I do trust him and that organization to get it right. But to this point, I think it's definitely fair to call them a disappointment at this at this point in the season. I, they I had the been single, playing better though, right, Tim? I mean, they had kind, been. yeah, they they've been better lately. I think Kirk hit the nail on the head though. Here is the biggest issue with the Celtics. Gordon Hayward is the biggest issue with the Celtics. And I think, like you just mentioned, they had the second or third best roster in the NBA. They don't have the second or third best roster in the NBA right now because Gordon Hayward isn't Gordon Hayward yet, right? Mm. And I think that that is the root of like all of these problems that they have because they have to play Gordon Hayward a bunch of minutes because they need to get Gordon Hayward back to where he was before because if they want to be the second or third best team in the NBA and have a chance to win a title... They need Gordon Hayward to be Gordon Hayward again. But the only way he's going to do that is if he plays, right? So you have Gordon Hayward, who's not who he was before yet. I think he's getting better, but it's going to take time, understandably. Um, you have him playing minutes that these younger guys look at and go, why is that guy playing this many minutes? He's not ready to go, right? Right. So you have well, Jalen well, Brown the, playing the, less the rookies, minutes. Right, the rookies are hell, or not the rookies, but the young guys... Brad has not been afraid to bench the young guys for poor play, but he's right. he's given he's given Hayward more of a leash because he's coming back from injury. Well, listen, he, he a, was Hayward was the first one to go to the bench too, right? Like he kept Jalen Brown in the starting lineup at first. Like he's he's, but I, you know you have these young guys that are frustrated by you know Kyrie saying stuff. They're not getting as many shots. They're not getting as many minutes. They've got Gordon Hayward playing minutes, right? Terry Rozier is in a contract year. He wants to get paid this summer. I think it's fair to say he's pressing, right? And he, he, you know, is- they could have extended him. They, they swapped offers, and I think, I think, you know, it was a big decision for the Celtics to make whether they wanted to, whether they wanted to lock themselves in or not. And they ultimately decided not to pay him. And I think that's a decision that even when they elected not to, I, I think that I think there was a number that they could have done. Right. And I think when they when they made that, they knew they were rolling the dice a little bit. Because right. of what what might happen to him, and also that they might lose him, you know, they may not be in a position to match. Um, right, and you know, I mean, th- that's a really good front office. They make a lot of good decisions. That's one of them that they weren't sure about, and I don't know if it's worked well, out. There's, for them. And people are just split on Terry Rozier. He just might not be that good either, right? I mean, it's you know, he had the really good playoffs last year, but you know, maybe he's not worth fifteen or sixty million dollars a year like people might have thought after that run. I mean, look, I, I to my point to like to Kirk's point though, that is the issue with the Celtics is that there's just a lot of stuff for them to sort out still. And part of the problem with um, with evaluating them, to me, is that you really can't evaluate them till May 1st, and we know where Gordon Hayward's at on May 1st. Because I think that single thing is going to mm-hmm. determine their whole season. If Gordon Hayward is 80% or more of what he was before he got hurt by May 1st, 
I think they're on par or better than the Raptors. And they're the prob- they're either the best team in the East or they're right there. And if he's 60% of that guy, or you know, he's not much better than he is right now, I think they probably lose in the second round. And like that's probably where it's at. And maybe they get to the conference finals and lose, but like I don't think they're on the same level, right? And like to me, that's going to make all this other stuff fall into place. But I, it's impossible to know today what the answer to that question is. So you know, we just have to kind of wait and see how he develops. All right, one last topic before we go: the Sixers. You were with them yesterday in New York. They had a narrow win over the Knicks, who are just not good right now. Who might be as, um, who might be as bad as the Cavs? Oh man, they are terrible. <laughs> The, Especially with no Ennis Canner and no Tim Hardaway. The fact that that game was close is not great for the Sixers. Um, they had lost their previous two games to the Wizards. Who The Wizards are getting better. They had a narrow loss. They almost pulled off a nice win over Toronto yesterday. Bradley Beal is averaging like 30 points a game since John Wall went out. Then they lost. Uh, this is the Sixers. They lost to the Hawks at home. Bad loss. Um Yep. And then, you know, narrow win. Now, you mentioned to me the other day their upcoming schedule, and I'm going to read it right here. Um, so home against the Timberwolves tomorrow uh, with Jimmy Butler implications in that game. Who knows what will happen with that. Um, the return game for Dario Saric and Robert Covington. Well, Covington um, won't play, which is a big loss for That's Robert. right. There you're right. Okay, so then here's where it gets nasty. At the Pacers. Home to the Thunder Rockets and Spurs. They have a Texas Triangle, or I guess it's not Texas because Oklahoma, but it's like um, the Southwest Division comes to them for a week. Saturday, Monday, Wednesday, uh, Thunder, Rockets, Spurs. Then they go on a tough West Coast trip uh, at Nuggets, at Lakers, a game that I'll be at uh, that you think LeBron might be back for, at Warriors, at Kings. Then they come home and they play the Raptors and Nuggets at home. So you're looking at, and then they play the Lakers and Celtics at home. Yeah, well, I'm, you know, theoretically LeBron will be back again for that, and then the Celtics. Um, so, but you're looking at one, two, three, four, it's twelve, five, games. six, six consecutive games against current Western playoff teams, um, and you know, two games with the Nuggets, two games with the Lakers. Um, you know, it's it's. It's not the ideal time to be playing rough basketball. Now, there's we've had this little back and forth between these guys, and and Zach Lowe wrote one story about something, and Ramona wrote another story about something else. All I know is it's not you know team harmony in there right now, uh, regardless of what the actual reality is. And so, this next three weeks is going to tell us a lot about the 76ers, I think. It's a it's a brutal stretch, and it goes right up to and through that that game against the Nuggets. It's the game at home on February eighth. Is the day of the trade deadline. So that this goes, or it's the day after. So I mean, this this stretch goes up to and through the trade deadline. And I mean, it's it's thirteen games, eleven of them on national TV. Uh, oh my be god, under the is microscope. that right? There's six TNT oh, games, I... two ABC <laughs> games, two ESPN oh games, god. and an NBA TV. Oh my god, I didn't know that. Well, you know the NBA, oh. the NFL season is ending, so there's all this basketball. Well, I mean, it's 12 it's straight fun. games against winning teams. Even Sacramento, Sacramento is the last game of a West Coast trip, and they are tough to play at home. Yeah. I mean, that, that's not an easy. They're like, winning. I think they were 500. They're a winning they team now. They yeah. are the only team that's under 500 in this entire stretch is Minnesota. They're one game under 500. So right. if they beat the Sixers, they'll be at 500. So I mean, it's. It's a brutal schedule all the way through. And again, to your point, this is a team that's not in the greatest of places. And, you know, it, it's a stretch that could determine a lot of things. Look, if they go eight and four, right, it could be really, it could be a real galvanizing moment for them. And it could be like, hey, we're going to get this thing righted. They also could easily go three and nine. And who knows what happens? I don't know. I, I don't know about easily. They're a good team. They're going to win some of these games, but I mean, it's going to be a challenge. All, all I'm saying is th- these are all games that, at best, they're coin flip games. Right. Yeah. This is a team to your point that just lost to Atlanta and barely beat the Knicks with all three of their guys healthy. So to expect them to go, you know, win. By the way, Ben Simmons had a 22 rebound game yesterday, even though it was not a great performance by the team. That's 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 not bad for. uh, No, they they got a lot of talent. I mean, it's just it's it's just going to be a real. They're to me the most interesting team in the league between now and the deadline because I feel like they could go seven different ways, and we didn't even talk about Markel Fultz who. I, I think well, we're allegedly there was supposed to, soon. Well, we were supposed to, you know, there was reportedly going to be an update last week. Last week came and went, and maybe there was an update, but it wasn't released. Right. So, so it probably I mean, wasn't the, good news. 
<laughs> well, if the, <laughs> right, maybe there hasn't been one yet. But, to, I mean, it was he was supposed to be out four to six weeks, and I believe six weeks is tomorrow. Oh. So, you know, it's, you know, again, it's like... By the way, I thought four to six weeks was a preposterous thing to, to say. For for a guy who's gone through that, to put a time frame on that was preposterous. Right. Uh, so Well, I mean, listen, the, the Sixers have not... Ex- the Sixers have put themselves in preposterous you, situations plenty of times. You have... And we will edit this out if you don't want to say this, but you have openly questioned to me privately whether... Maybe you've done it publicly. Maybe you're about to do it publicly for the first time. You have questioned whether Fultz will play a game for the Sixers again. Yeah, I don't think he will. I mean, I, I and, and look, maybe he will. I hope he does. Like, I, I just at this point, I just want the kid to have a successful career, right? But I, I think just I, Philadelphia. I mean, as a guy who's been in the Northeast for a long time, there, there probably isn't a worse place to be if you're under the microscope than in Philadelphia. I know. Uh, now the now the Eagles are out of the playoffs. The Eagles so. are out, and the Sixers. <laughs> the Sixers have all these expectations and. Um, I just think it would be the best thing for both sides for him to get traded somewhere else. Because if if he's Markel Fultz in Orlando or Atlanta or Sacramento or Phoenix or wherever, if he you know double pumps a free throw or doesn't start or doesn't play, he's just a guy on the team. As opposed to the former number one pick who was supposed to be the culmination of the process and the perfect fit with Ben and Joel and all these other things that he isn't, at least right now, Um you know, it, it, it just I just don't think it's going to work there. But again, this is another thing they're going to have to deal with. I mean, this team just has so many things to deal with. They don't have enough depth. Um, you know, there's obviously these, you mentioned the stuff with Jimmy Butler. Like, there's all that stuff going on. Um, you know, Ben Simmons has taken less perimeter jumpers than Markel Fultz in his career. I, I mean, there's just there's a, a lot of stuff going on with this team. And again, that's Here, why these next few weeks question. are going to be fascinating. Here's a quick question. When they play the Wolves tomorrow night, Will Wiggins be closer to 40 points like he had last week or four points? I bet Andrew Wiggins has a big game tomorrow. Okay. Uh, Kirk, what do you see with the uh, 76ers? Ooh, I see a, a toxic cocktail of uh, volatility oh and delicacy. <laughs> I to- that's a, that's a Harvard cocktail. sentence right there, Kirk. <laughs> oh boy. I, uh, I'm worried, man. I'm worried. They got a new GM. They got players that are, that are, that are wild to sort of try to understand how they're fitting together there's the woes report um, about jimmy butler going off on coach brown Um, and if you look at their key statistical markers uh, they look like an average nba team with championship expectations and as tim has pointed out they're heading into a very difficult stretch ahead of the break and if I'm not confident that if they go three and nine or four and eight in that stretch, that this is the type of group that will handle that well. Mm. Um, well, that's the I thing, don't... right? They've they've been struggling. They've been having issues while they've been pretty good. Like what yeah, happens I think if, if they struggle? If, that's right. And if you have if you have a good culture and you can look at a schedule like that, every team goes through. Oh my gosh, look at this look at this sort of gauntlet of games we have ahead of us. And you take a four and eight out of twelve. You know, a good cultured team will, will be like, guys, that was just a bad stretch. Let's we'll get it next time. I'd like to say the Sixers could do that, but I, if I'm if I'm a fan of the Sixers, I'm a little bit worried uh, how they'll deal with this. And I can't believe how many national how many national TV games in that stretch. That's starting tomorrow. Eleven of their next thirteen games. Oh my gosh! So yeah, they're going to have bright lights on them, and I'm not oh sure the God. team needs. Bright Ch- Charles Barkley is going to be talking about them. <laughs> a lot. Uh, and, yeah, you know, that's the thing. Like, uh, you, you mentioned earlier, but the Lakers, I think you said, had the second hardest schedule left, Tim. Yes, um, they do. This always happens with LeBron teams. Uh, they backload the schedule because they don't want to play all the premier TV games during football right. season. So Nuggets, by the way, have the third. I'm just looking at it now. Sixers are 11. Toughest. Well, Goldsberry is on the record is being concerned about the Nuggets. Um, but this is what happens with LeBron teams. They backload. Um, you know, he, he's going to have some premier games in the first week. He's going to have the Christmas game. And then basically starting at Martin Luther King Day forward, when the NFL is, you know, goes into the Super Bowl prep and everything, it's, you know, this NBA time. And uh, other than probably a little bit in March where the NBA takes away some of its premier matchups to get out of the way of the uh, NCAA tournament, um, and TNT doesn't have as many games in that stretch. Um, it's, you know, that's the way it happens. You know, the, you know, the Saturday night ABC games come up and all of a sudden, um, if you're a LeBron team, you're playing a marquee game on Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, all the time. And, um, this looks like this is what's happened to the Sixers. The Sixers are headed for their marquee stretch and we'll see, 
uh, how they handle it. It'll certainly be interesting to watch. Well, let me add one more thing. I think we zoom out, we look at the Eastern Conference. There's four or five teams up there. We got the Bucks and Raptors. We got the Pacers, and then we have the last two teams we talked about: the Sixers yep. and the Celtics. Follow the drama. The drama is not in Milwaukee. It's not in Toronto. It's not in Indiana. Those teams are, they seem to be playing well and getting along well. Boston and Philly have to get this thing right soon or else one or both of them is going to have a very disappointing end of the season. Well, it could be, could be very easily the four or five matchup in the first round. Like I'm very confident oh Philly's God. going to finish. I'm very right. confident Philly's going to finish fifth in the East. It's whether Boston gets by Indy or not. And that, like, if that's the four or five, there's going to be one that's team a, at, at the end of April that's going to be very upset. Yeah, it's an excellent oh point. One of those oh teams God. is going home after that. round one. And Philly's going to be, be fifth. I, I'm pretty confident after this stretch they're going to be – I mean, they're already a game back. I'm pretty confident after this stretch they're going to be a few games back. You, I don't think this you is like go to well. declare things in January that are a little aggressive. I'm well, just going to tell you that. I'm just saying, last year, the Philly went on an insane run at the end of the season with Ursan Silva and Marco Bellinelli. Like That's Maybe right. they can – re-juggle things around, but I, I just look at this stretch, I expect them to go 5-7 and seven or worse, so they're probably going to lose a few games, and if you're looking at I mean, they've played 44 games, at the end of the stretch they'll play 57 games, so if you're, it's hard to make up 5 games in 25 games. No, you're so right, I'm just, just saying They're going to be behind Indy, you would assume so it's whether Boston can get by Indy or not. My guess is Boston probably does but that that's probably what we're looking at to see if it's going to be Boston Philly in the first round or not. I'll tell you what, if that's four or five, as you just brought up, which I hadn't thought about, if that's four or five, not only is that a grinder, but that kind of plays to Toronto's advantage that they would only theoretically have to play one of them instead of both of them. Now, yep. you, you could argue that, that Milwaukee has proven that they're the better team anyway, um, uh, but Toronto has owned uh, Indiana, especially at home, and um, I think matches up well with Milwaukee. Um, they went into Milwaukee and won without uh, Kawhi already. They lost to him the first two times, though. I actually think Milwaukee is the toughest matchup of those teams for them. But e- either way, it, 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 there's no question that but if the haven't they Boston won, series haven't is the they, first round, They've won the last two times they've played Milwaukee. Is that right? Uh, they lost to the, the Bucks twice this year and then beat them oh, the right. last game when, uh, when Kawhi didn't play. Um, I thought they... Uh, I'm playing you guys off. This is going on really playing. long. Oh, this is like la, the uh, Oscars. La, All right, thank la, you for listening to the Hoop Collective la, podcast. We'll Brian study the, uh, the Hoop Collective. I don't know about your um, about your playoff music there, but uh, thank you for listening. We'll talk to you later in the week. Yeah, I thought that was I thought that was like I'm looking something up music. I couldn't really tell. I just you guys were saying like before we get off, we want to just hit this one thing, and it's just been All going right. on for like then, ten then minutes. Just, so people okay, enjoy the fine. content. Huh? Fine. <laughs> 